Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we discuss life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. I'm so excited to have Paul Selig back on the show. For anybody who missed my first episode, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, we are talking about Paul's new book, Resurrection. If you haven't read it, listen to this episode, go read the book and then re-listen to this episode because I really think it will help you better understand a lot of the book. The book is amazing and enlightening and intense and incredible. So check it out. For those who don't know, Paul is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channelers working today. In 10 breakthrough works of channeled literature, including I Am the Word and Resurrection, he has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. Born in New York City, Paul received his master's degree from Yale and a spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. Today, he lives on Maui, where he maintains a private practice as an intuitive and conducts frequent live stream seminars. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for everybody who has supported the podcast. So there's so many ways you can support the podcast and the work that I'm doing. One, you can spread the word about the podcast. So share the podcast with someone you know, repost my anything on social media. If you are a therapist listening to the podcast and you have a client who you think would benefit, share it with them. This podcast has grown completely organically. I've never done advertising. I've never done anything to boost the podcast. It is all because of you all sharing the podcast. And we are coming up on a million downloads, which is amazing. Other ways that you can support the podcast is through Patreon. So if you would like to become a patron, you can go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins. You can find different tiers to support the podcast at the $5, 10 or $20 level or any other denomination. And my $20 supporters do get once quarterly Zoom calls with me. They've been fabulous. For a while, I was doing them for all the supporters, but now I am closing that down to just the $20 a month supporters. I really want to honor those who are really committed to supporting the podcast. So thank you so much. And I just want to point out what a difference this makes for me. The podcast is just supported by me. Uh, I don't have advertisers yet, although I would love some. I don't have sponsors, although that would be great. So right now the, the podcast is supported by you all. And I'm so grateful if you benefit from the podcast, if your life has shifted or changed as a result of the podcast, please help me continue to help you have on these great guests. Also follow me on Instagram, Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from my listeners, trying to do my best to be quick to respond. And lastly, rate, review, and subscribe. That is super important. Um, podcasts show up in people's algorithms is by other people subscribing and rating and reviews being higher. I also love reading the reviews so you can rate the podcast, but you can also review the podcast. Thank you all for all of your support, for all of your love, for all of your helping to collectively raise the consciousness of this planet. I am so incredibly grateful. So we're here to talk today. If people missed my first episode with you, they can go back and listen to that. But today we're here to discuss Resurrection, which is the book one of the Manifestation Trilogy. So I want to dive into some of the content in the book. But first, can you define just as a baseline, so we're all working from the same place, what exactly is channeling and how do you differentiate, differentiate it from inspiration? I do make a, I do differentiate the two. Um, channeling is dictation. I think of myself as a stenographer for the guide. So the books aren't written. They're not even edited. They're all spoken. And the transcripts of, of the, the recordings um, are what become the book. So my job when I'm channeling, I'm like a radio. So when I'm channeling, I'm playing a station and I am taking the dictation. So it's not my book. My name's on the cover, but I didn't write it. I'm a collaborator because I'm present for it. And I'm often interrupting the teachings with my own questions if I don't follow something. 
um, when I work as a psychic um, or when I'm doing anything creative, I think when anybody is doing anything creative, we can be moving in and working with inspiration, which I think is slightly different. Inspiration, I believe, is divinely inspired. But the difference is when I'm reading you or reading somebody, I'm getting images, I'm getting impressions, and I'm having to interpret. So in channeling, there's no interpretation. It's not for me to interpret. It's for me to render clearly. If I'm reading you and I see some man standing behind you with a small mustache, I might say, who's the guy with the small mustache and the gray eyes, you know, and the, and the tattoo on his forearm. Um, but I'm not taking dictation. I'm reading and I'm getting impressions. I'm reporting. But a lot of what I do when I, when I read um, is interpretation. I, I taught college for 25 years, you know, and I was an inspired teacher. I often knew what the students needed and I knew how to support them in their learning. Um, but that wasn't channeled. You know, so mm -hmm. that's the distinction. I think channeling, I, if, you're, if, you're, if you're channeling, you don't get to go back and fix it. If you're inspired and you're working as an artist, you're expected, I think, to craft the material. Do you differentiate then what comes potentially from some higher power in those cases? Well, I think inspiration can be given to us in many forms, mm -hmm. you know, so when I'm channeling, I'm working with a set of guides who work with me consistently, and I'm familiar with the energy and the vocabulary and all of that. When I'm reading, I'm probably hearing an aspect of you, the people that you ask about. I mean, that's my work. Mm -hmm. So if you think of me as a radio, when I'm playing the guide station, that's the channeling. If I'm playing, if you ask me to tune into your ex, and see what's going on with your ex, I may be able to hear him, but I'll also get emotional responses that I'll have to interpret. Mm -hmm. So I'm accessing information in different ways, depending on what I'm doing. I mean, you can, you know, paint a picture in oils or in watercolors, there are different mediums that present different, you know, outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think sometimes I've noticed that people say, well, I channeled this piece of music and they, you know, they were inspired. I call it channeling. It's become a bit of a catch all phrase. That's not to say that work that's inspired is any less, you know, wonderful than what's mm -hmm. channeled. It's just mm -hmm. different. That's all. So when did this new set of texts come to be? Well, they're coming now. Um, I mean, they're, the first book, the first book, which is Resurrection of this trilogy, was dictated last summer, and it's out now. So the summer last year, mm -hmm. I'm almost done with the next book of the trilogy, which was begun maybe a month and a half ago. Um, okay. You know, so that's you know, that's how they do it. I. Um, so they're not all, they don't all come out at once. It's mm -hmm. one at a time. And the build, the teaching is progressive. I don't even know the title of the book until I'm given it. Um, I thought this book that's come, that's being channeled now would be called something other than it is. And I was quite surprised when they gave a different name. And, you know, that book is, and the book that you, that, that we're talking about today, Resurrection, I mean, most of these books were done in front of live audiences, mm -hmm. um, you know, all of them entirely. I can't do it alone. So the book that's being channeled now was done before, you know, 100 students in a workshop here, 200 in a workshop there online in front of however many, and then in a small group that I've convened to be the active listener for these texts, because I can't do it without someone listening. So that brings me to my, my next question. As I was reading it, and the guides seem quite playful with you as well. And I like it at certain points in the book, they say, underline this word, or they're very direct mm -hmm. in terms of what mm -hmm. I think the listener and you, all of us need to hear. Mm -hmm. how, how do we move towards integrating the material they're teaching versus listen, just experiencing it? Or is the experience of it enough to shift us? I think, I think both are true. So the guides say that the books are energetic transmissions that work directly with the reader. And I believe that to be true. And it's as if every book has a tone or, or a level of vibration that 
is working with us. So they say the words in the page provide an intellectual context for the real teaching, which is what informs the word or what exists behind the words or between the lines on the page. Um, so I think integration of this stuff has to be experiential. It's not an intellectual teaching. I mean, there are active exercises in many of the books. All of the books hold attunements and the attunements, they say, um, you know, the, the guides say they work with language that's been encoded with vibration. So when you invoke the attunements that they give you, you're aligning to the intent behind them, which can be quite physical. So when they do these things in groups and people invoke the attunements, um, you can feel it. The whole room can feel the energy shifting and people have a large experience with them. And I suspect that's what maybe is a little bit different about how these guides are working than say, you know, just something that's primarily a spoken channeling that is for understanding and the intellect, because there's a whole energetic component to these teachings that builds, you know, as we can sort of hold the level of resonance of the teaching, we begin to employ them and we begin to receive the benefits that come at that level of alignment. At least that's been my own experience of this. Does it matter to read or to listen? I don't think so. I mean, the books are the, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, every book has had an audio book mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Um, the only thing I've heard about the audiobooks is because of the energy. People like to listen to them when they're driving to work and have sometimes have to pull over to the side of the road because it gets a little, it gets a little intense. Mm -hmm. um, but that's all I've heard, you know. So no, I think they're both they're 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 the same. They're, it's the same information, but it's the same energy informing them. I don't think it matters if you read or listen to a book now or 25 years from now, if they're still available to be read or heard, the energy informing them will be present. The guides say they're working beyond our idea of time and space. They said in one of the books, if you're reading in this book and you have a question, ask the question and we'll answer it in the book. Because mm -hmm. while we're dictating the text through Paul, we're also with you as you're reading. Um, and people have reported again and again and again, you know, I read, I went back, I read the book again, it's like a whole different book, or I asked a question on page three, it was answered on page four, you know, all that kind of stuff happens. So I just, you know, I'm the radio for this, I'm in broadcast, I'm not a spiritual teacher, I'm not a guru, I understand what I do through the doing of it, but I don't even know how to teach it. Mm -hmm. When the guides talk about resurrection in this book and the upper room. Can you speak to what they mean by that? I'll try. Um, so the upper room, I'll start with that. So the guides say we're living in an octave. Our reality, they call an octave with low notes and high notes. They say everything is in tone and vibration. So we know ourselves in this collective reality that we're participatory to the creation of. And they say, you know, one of the things that we have been in agreement to, which means energetic accord or co-resonance with is fear. And that the energy of fear has been pure and we expect it to be here. And so we end up maneuvering this landscape, this collective landscape, which they say is something of a minefield because the expectation that fear will be there or that we will have war, we will have poverty or we will have, you know, those kinds of challenges that they say are all born in a belief in separation or an idea mm -hmm. separate from our source. So that's the reality here. What they're doing in their books and have been doing, they say it's like transposing a piece of music. They say any song can be sung in any octave into infinity, even beyond what the ears can have the capacity to hear. So the idea of transposing something is the idea of lifting it or transforming it to be played in the higher octave. The upper room, they say, is basically the next octave above ours. You can call it Christ consciousness. My guides have never mentioned the term 5D. They don't, you know, they barely, I think they've said the word computer twice in all of the years that I've been doing it. So they have their own language for stuff. 
But the upper room is the octave above ours. And that they say one of the vast differences is fear doesn't express in the upper room. And they bring people to the upper room in their workshops and in their texts. And they say, well, what, what is there to be frightened of here? And there's nothing. You have to go looking for it when you're there because mm. it's, it's not the level. They say fear just doesn't align at that level. It's of the low octave. So the idea of resurrection, which they're teaching, is what they call the monad or the divine self or the Christ within or the inner, whatever you want to call it. There's a name mm -hmm. for it, pretty much everything I expect. But the realization and the manifestation of the monad in form in its own resurrected state. So that's the God within expressing as and through each of us inclusive of form and inclusive of the radiance that we hold they say that the resurrected self which is the manifestation of the divine as can be held in form claims all things that it encounters to itself so in other words god sees god in all of its creations so you're, you're moving beyond the idea of separation here and beyond the choice is made in fear because they say the divine self or the monad or the Christ within or the true self, whatever you want to call it, doesn't hold fear. There is no fear at that level. So when you're not choosing in fear, you're not claiming the karma of fear. And what you actually are doing is you're reclaiming what has been denied God in God because you can't not do that. The God say everything is of God or nothing can be and that our only real problem is the denial of the divine which manifests all of the pain and suffering that we see around us war all you know power name it you know it's all a belief that we're separate separate from the one beside us separate from our source separate from the world we live in so the resurrected self abides in the upper room or the higher octave experiences the reality it knows itself through there so it's like being in the world but not of it you understand you're still walking around you're doing your thing with the level of consciousness that you're holding is actually informing your experience of being and everything that you encounter they say is altered by this by being in this upper room yeah or by the level of vibration that you hold there mm -hmm. level of consciousness that expresses there mm -hmm. so it's not a geographic location i don't think right um, I, no right you know it's a, but they say it's it's you know so I don't know if this will be the right metaphor. So, you know, you play in the radio. There's lots of stations to play. There's lots of broadcasts. And they say, you know, what we what the upper room is, is the level of consciousness that's always been there that has been denied through our belief in separation. So we're aligning to who we already are in truth and what is already there beyond the muck. So if you imagine just like a lot, a lot of muck on the window, that gets cleared so that we're seeing differently, experiencing differently, and consequently participating, I think they would say, in the creation of a new world. I say new world, that's my language. Um, they, one of the claims they teach, which is an attunement, is the claim, behold, I make all things new. And they say all things, not just the things you think should be fixed or changed or the things that you don't like and want to see differently. It's the reality that the divine experiences itself as all things because nothing can be outside of God, they say, except that which we put there. And then that's our choice and alignment. It's still not true. Go ahead. One takeaway I had was that how that divine gets expressed through us, I guess, as our personality is unique to each of us individually. Well, I think you're still unique and you're still who you are at a level of identity, but you're no longer operating with that identity at the forefront. So the guy, one of the first things the guides mm -hmm. ever said in channel, and this was when I was in my early thirties and I, I, I'm not, I would say I'm 99% sure I heard this in channel because I didn't understand it and I had to write it on a piece of paper and I was, you know, suffering at the time. And I heard freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And I thought, what the heck does that mean? But what an, what an app. I mean, as we're speaking today, the day of the Queen of London's burial. That's an interesting. Well, I don't know. That's I heard this 30 years ago. When right. No, she but... was still around. So it has nothing to do with her. 
But the idea that who that, that who sits in the throne is the small self, you know, the personality structure. So if Paul, as personality, thinks he's running the show and everything has to be the way he thinks, that's the king in the throne or the queen in her throne. And they say when the throne relinquishes its king, it's that aspect of you that knows who she is and what she is and how she serves that is claiming that purview, that space, that, that world. The personality self is still there. It just is no longer the grand poobah that's trying to run, to run everything. So yes, the claims they work with, I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. People sometimes mistake that to mean, well, I know I'm Paul and this is where I live and I know how I serve, which is what I do. And, you know, I know what I am, which is a male. And that's all a very limited way of, of understanding this. They say the who that's being addressed is the eternal who. I know who I am as an aspect of the divine. I know what I am as a manifestation of this. And they say how we serve is how we're most fully expressed as that. As the divine. As the divine. The divine come as you, come as anyone. You can't be this unless everybody else is this too. They say again and again and again. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It just can't mm. be so. It's hypocrisy. So yes, the divine that has come as you with your you know, singular awareness, perhaps, but also you in a transposed state. So it's not you who's scared of spiders and hates this political figure or loves that one. I mean, those are ways we experience ourselves here. But that's not the truth of who you are. That's a way of knowing the self through the common field or the structures that we've inherited. So I wanted to ask you for clarification on this. The body Mm -hmm. itself is always alive as an energetic structure. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming when they say that, they mean always alive throughout time. Not as the body necessarily, but yes, the energy of the body is is somewhere. Right. Okay. So energy of the body or what was known as the body, even this will move into another form, but the release of the body does not guarantee you union and the manifesting in a body certainly does not deny you union, although you expect it does. I don't remember it. I mean, they said it through me. I don't remember, you know, I, I retain about a third of, of the work, you know, that comes through me. But I think what they're, I think, and I may be wrong, it sounds like what they're saying is just because you die doesn't mean you're, you move into a state of, you know, nirvana and union with source. And that you can manifest at a level while in form where you can experience yourself in union as well. The the claim that the guides teach, I know what I am in truth, which is actually really potent when you work with it. They've done groups where they just split everybody up in partners and they claim it for each other and they ask them to feel the energetic resonance of the claim. They call it the echo. So when you claim, I know what you are in truth, they're claiming the divine as form, God as the cells of the body, God as the hair fog, God as everything, non-exclusive of the body. And you can feel, then they say, feel the echo, and it comes back like waves of energy that are, again, palpable. You know, you can't fake this stuff. So... They've worked with the divination of form or realizing the divine as form um, for a number of books. And I think part of the reason is they've said you come from a system where there's a God, if there is a God, it's some somebody up on a cloud or some something out there. And they say God is also the body. God is also the earth. They say if you deny the divine in your own form, You've also denied the divine in the tree outside and in the sky and in the earth. You can't have it both ways. But I think there has been a belief that we've all claimed and been in agreement to that there's something wrong with the body or that it's shameful or that, you know, God is beyond form. And the guides I work with say there is one note played in the entire universe. And that one note is an expression is all manifestation, all things. But these things are operating at different levels of vibration and tone. So the body, I understand, operates in a more dense energy. 
than spirit. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing is they're working on the escalation of the body itself so that the body can actually hold the higher and work with form directly, which is why when you begin to do this work, you have a very different experience of, how can I say this, of what it means to know, which means realize the divine as what you see or the manifestation. Again, you know, when you talk about this stuff and it's just talk, it's sort of an intellectual like, well, maybe that makes sense. When you start to have an experience of it, it's a real different thing. It's like they say, you know, you can't try to feel the shower. You step under the shower head with the water on and you're experiencing the shower. You don't try that. Mm-hmm. And they say God is all things, but we've veiled ourselves from that because we're operating in this belief in separation. Hi, everybody. I have a new offering that a few of you have taken advantage of so far, and it is a spiritual consultation. So, so many of you had reached out to me with like questions or wanting to know how to open up more, wanting to know, you know, what you should do in this area of your life or that area of your life that I thought I would just try to offer a new way to connect with me. So these are spiritual consultations. They can be 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. And in that time, we talk about kind of what questions you have, whether it's about opening up more spiritually, whether it's about something in your life. And we really kind of come to an understanding and a conclusion about what the next steps you need to take to achieve that are. Again, this is new to me. I've done a few of them. They are phenomenal. I am so enjoying them. It is not a therapy session. Be clear. It is not a therapy session. It is not a medium reading. It is somewhere in between. We incorporate meditation and intuition and manifestation and intention and all of this in like a very brief period of time, but it has been extremely powerful. And the people that have done it have walked away feeling like they really had something tangible that they could carry with them and help them move their life forward. So if this is something you're interested in, please reach out to me. I don't have a lot of spots for them. So I'm only doing maybe one or two a month, but keeping a wait list for those who are interested. So you can find that on my website, dramyrobbins.com, and you can go on there and click on spiritual consultation. I will get you scheduled. It might be a month or two out, but I am trying to get everybody who's interested in. So go ahead and check that out. If you have any questions, just email me about it through the website as well. So when the belief in separation is, 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 which I hear is actually being dismantled, at a much higher level, and we're all participatory to that. When that occurs, we begin to have a different experience of form itself and all things. And the guides say, behold, I make all things new. And that includes the manifest world, everything we see or or can imagine, inclusive of our memory and our idea of who we are, all things made new. It sounded like in the book, they were, when they work with you, they need to make sure that you are in a place where you can physically handle the vibration through which they're going to be transmuting messages. And that at some points they said, we need to make sure Paul is ready for this. What does that mean? I don't recall that either. Um, In terms of I'm in a place, I mean, I can, I mean, I have channeled you know, right after the death of a loved one and, you know, in the middle of a, an argument with somebody. I mean, I've had to show up for this and the guides override all that. They can, they can work through me pretty much regardless. Um, so can I don't you say no? Yeah, I can say no anytime I want to, you know, no, they don't override free will at all. Well, it just, it, it, to me, as I was reading it, what it seemed like was just that the messages that they were transmuting were going to be like of maybe a higher vibration and so they had to like almost walk you up the stairs slowly that's true i think to a to a degree and i think when they bring through a teaching that i find challenging which is a lot of the time increasingly so lately i question it so they often have to stop the dictation and address my question in Mm -hmm. order to be Continue sometimes, which I actually prefer 
They'll say, Paul, Paul has a question. We will address it later. And they'll just keep barreling through. I actually like that because it reminds me that they're in charge and they, they know what they're doing and they do address the questions in one way or another. But I think that, you know, my consciousness needs to expand to hold what they're saying. There are things that they're talking about now about how reality is reseen and renowned through in a collective way that would have just blown my mind five years ago. I don't know that I would have been in a position to fully take the dictation, let alone integrate the teachings. Um, but I, I feel that what they've done over the years, you know, every book in its own way uh, brings the reader to what the teaching is. You know, I don't know that you have to read 10 books to read the 11th book. I really don't. But there is a build in the energy and there is a basis in the teaching that I think was played out in the very first book, which was called I Am the Word. And um, it's like it holds the DNA, I think, of what follows. And they've been unpacking that in some ways at a level that can be realized ever since. But they're really talking about the manifestation of the divine in form. It's not, this isn't sort of feel good, new agey stuff. It's, mm -hmm. I wish it was sometimes, you know, I say, I'm never going to be on a cruise ship with this stuff. You know, it's too <laughs> challenging, but I do think what they're teaching is mysticism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's real. It's, it's, and I don't think it's new stuff. I think these concepts have been present for a long time. What seems different about how the guides work is they're working with the energy and they say that they're sponsoring the reader. They're supporting the reader in their own experience of the teachings. Mm -hmm. And that's what people continue to report. Mm -hmm. When they talk about love, what mm -hmm. is love according to the guides? It's, a, it's an expression of God. It's an expression of source. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not, I love your shoes. It's not you know, necessarily romantic, our idea of romantic love. Um, it's, they say it's God that loves through us, truthfully. It's the source that experiences itself through us as love. Beyond that, I don't know. There's probably more. They wrote a whole book on it called The Book of Love and Creation. That was about 10 years ago, which I haven't even, I've never revisited that book. It was 500 pages. I, I was typing up the transcripts myself at that time, and I was so wiped out. I mean, it was dictated, I think, over a month, maybe there, you know, 500 pages in a month of lectures. And you were typing them out. And I was typing. It took me longer to type it. When I, I don't type the books anymore. Thank God. It's the best thing that ever happened to me <laughs> because I got so, cause it's, it's really exacting. You have to listen to some sentences, you know, three times to figure out where the comma goes. Well, and when you're, if people have never heard you channel before, you're, it's like almost double speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whispered and repeated. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I just never revisit it. Some people just love that book as it's their favorite book. I just haven't gone back there. But that's the book where they really speak about love as consciousness. And they revisit it again in other books, but in different ways. Do you reread often what you channel? No. Never. No, I, you know, I'm doing this so much i mean there have been i'm almost done with the 11th book in about 11 years um i channel weekly i have private clients that i work with i do intensive so i there've got a, i don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of pages have been if, if somebody wanted to do a real exercise they just compile everything and let me know how many there are the books alone about 300 pages of book, I would suggest mm -hmm. 10, but that's 3,300 pages already just with the books, let alone everything else. So I like it when I, I do read the books, I proof them finally at the very end, I try to, but the first time I really read a whole manuscript is when I'm doing the audiobook. That's when I really hear it because I'm sitting there and I have to read it. And that's when I go, oh, this makes sense. Because a lot of the time when I'm doing this, I go, I hope to God this makes sense. I didn't understand a word of it. Well, when and, you're, I'm reading it. I mean, it's a, it's a long read because you often have to go back and reread 
I find for me, I have to reread, okay, what does that mean? And then I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't be trying to make sense of it at an intellectual level. I should just be experiencing the words of it. People sometimes say when they go back a second time, things that didn't make sense make perfect sense. You know, I've had that experience too. So sometimes it seems to have to do with the space that I'm in when I'm reading. But honestly, it makes sense. If you, if you, sometimes you've got to pull back like, an, and, and I'm, I'm in the backseat of the car for the channeling. That's how I look at it. Um, I'm speaking, but I'm half listening from the backseat. And when I go, I hope it makes sense. Literally, I hear a phrase at a time, phrase, phrase, phrase. And it's all of these phrases strung together, create a paragraph, create a chapter, create an entire book. So I never know the full thought of a sentence. I hear the first part of the sentence and speak it, and then I'll hear the second and the next and the next and the next. And it's a trippy way to work. Sometimes I wish, I mean, when I do channel directly without the repeat and it happens, um, I don't remember it at all then. I'm just so in the sound of the, the consonants mm. and the vowels, I'm not hearing the content. Um, so I suppose this way gives me a slight sense of control because I can interrupt mm-hmm. and I go, can you explain what, I mean, I'm, what do you, what do you mean when you say, and then they can go back and, and do that. But the whole process is very immediate and also very physical for me. It's not comfortable. You know, I sometimes see, cause I don't watch other channels. I don't know how people work. I really, I've seen maybe five minutes of, of uh, Jane Roberts, a film of Jane Roberts who channeled Seth working, which I've, I really understood because she was in it and it was physical. And I went, yeah, that's what it feels like. It's not, I don't, um, these people that are just like, I'm graceful and here are the Pleiadians, Pleiadians and it's all like floaty. Maybe they just have an, uh, an energy system or body that is more receptive to holding that. But for me, it's, Womp, you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like if you've ever seen, and it's not that my body is taken over, but my arms are used, my gestures are used, my eyes often change color and go bright blue when I'm working with people. I mean, it's, I, I haven't seen it, but I say to people after certain kinds of work that the guides do, what color were my eyes? They'll say, oh, blue. And I have, you know, hazel eyes. I've mm-hmm. never had, maybe when I was a child, I had blue eyes for a minute. But it's a physical thing. And when the channeling is over, I kind of, you've seen a marionette after, you know, when they, somebody lets go of the strings, it just goes plop. And that's kind of what I feel like, you know, and I can only do it when I do a retreat, um, because I just did one, I just did a couple of them. And, um, you know, they can, they were doing book, um, they'll channel three, four lectures in a day for a book you know, which is a couple of hours of, of stuff. The Q&A stuff, the psychic stuff is easier for me because mm. I'm working differently. Mm-hmm. It's the dedication and that level of concentration. It's, um, it's a bit exhausting. I don't know. So I think that this part was really interesting because I think everybody's sort of wondering what guides and all these other dimensional beings have to say about what's happening right now. But they said, you are you must all understand that you are on the brink as a species of such radical change that the excuses you have used to deny the well-being of your fellow will be the ash upon your faces if you continue. Wow. Yeah. Well, they've said it. I mean, what they've said, which gives me great hope, and they started saying this maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two years but I was surprised and relieved. They say humanity has decided at a higher level to, to make it. And they basically, what they've said is, you know, your belief in separation and all of the ways that that plays out, which is selfishness and fighting and war. And um, you've created the means to destroy yourselves under the pretext of staying safe. And they say, you know, the idea that you can build a bigger bomb to stay more safe is is ludicrous because those things are meant to go off and eventually will unless you change the level of consciousness that you're operating from. And they say, you know, because we as a species, as a people, 
have known war for so long, we can't really even imagine a world without it because it's all we've known. And so constantly, so where we end up replicating history through mm -hmm. the expectations of what's been there. So what they're doing is they're calling us to a higher level of consciousness where war isn't present. At that level of alignment, there's no need for it. You Would know, that be that, the upper room? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or the kingdom, which they say is where you go to from the upper room. The kingdom, they say, is the awareness of the divine as all things. It's a, it's a level of, of, of union, I guess. But the upper room, the consciousness that holds the upper room isn't a consciousness that holds fear. Mm -hmm. And they said again and again and again, it's one of the simplest teachings they've ever given. They say the action of fear is to claim more fear. And every choice one makes in fear gets you more of the same. You know, so, and they're not talking about prudence because people sometimes say, well, that means I should, should ignore. It's not about ignoring, but I, you know, I live on Maui. Somebody got bitten by a shark a couple of weeks ago. I'm glad they put up Don't Swim. Shark sightings. I'm right. glad they do that. You know, then I get to make my choice based in some evidence. But the action of fear is to claim more fear. They say, look at the last choice you made in fear and see what it got you. And more than likely, you'll see that it got you more of the same. Do they separate fear from lack or does lack, because they talk a lot about lack in this book, does lack, well, lack come out of fear? Lack comes out of a belief in separation or a belief that there's not going to be enough, yes. But, I mean, I think, how can I say this? If you look at the idea of God as source and not, and I think one of the things that has been prevalent in recent years is that idea that if you're spiritual, you have to get everything. You know, I'm going to manifest this. I'm going to get that. It's like a... God has a catalog of things to order. But they guys say, you know, there's nothing wrong with a house on the hill. Somebody gets to live there, but why do you want it? And if you want it so you can be the envy of your neighbors, you're creating in fear. Mm. You know, you're responsible for that. You're mm. operating in separation and lack. Finally, there's not going to be enough. So every time we go to there's not enough, we're operating in lack. And they say that is a denial of the divine. But you have to move to the level of consciousness where you can get that. I mean, I, when I was in my late 20s, I was as poor as anyone I've ever met in my life. And I mean, like, not money for the subway or a cup of coffee, poor. And I learned an enormous amount during that time. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I hope I don't have to experience that again. It was very, very hard. I remember somebody finding out in a very, very hot summer in Manhattan that I didn't own a pair of shorts because I couldn't afford them. He got me a pair of shorts, you know, and I was grateful. And I, I understand that level of consciousness where there isn't enough. And don't tell me I can just manifest it because that's a bunch of crap, because that's exactly what I would have said. But I did have to, I had a lot to learn. And I had a lot to learn about being grateful for what I did have and understanding what source was. I had a therapist from those years, Hurricane Harriet. She's on the other side. I hear she listens in because she likes it when I quote her. And I always quote her. Hurricane Harriet. I love she that. She was great. Harriet Warfield. She was a great old, great old broad, a smart lady, mm. tough as nails. And she said to me, God is source. You know, and that's how I deal with it. And I said, I'll try it. And it worked. You know, mm. when you think of that. See, people think of their job as the source or their partner as their source of love. And then when the lover leaves or the job is gone, what becomes of us? You see, so if we think about source as something other than that, there are other conduits and other ways that these things can be made available. I think it's challenging when we have entire cultures and countries where people are starving and in lack to say, well, you created this. I think they're also suffering from a world that believes that we don't have to take care of other people. Right. I was going to say that we are separate from. Yeah, which is selfishness and fear. So you know? how do how does one not get overwhelmed by what one wants to contribute to not be in that place? You know, I mean, you can only one do, person do. can only do what one person can do. Well, what the guides say, you see, they say how a world is transformed is less the work of one's hands than we tend to think. 
that a lot of it is actually the work of consciousness and that how you see or claim anything informs what you see. They say this really simply, what you bless blesses you in return. And they say a blessing isn't condoning it and making it okay. A blessing is claiming the presence of the divine upon the thing seen where it has been denied. And they also say what you damn damns your back. And that's a teaching of co-resonance. It's like they've said a million times, you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil. You've aligned to him at that level of darkness. Mm. You've moored yourself right next to him. You know, who they say it, who you put in darkness, what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. It's a simple, simple teaching. So if you go to the higher, you can lift things to the higher from that place. Now that doesn't mean and the guides have said this, if you have something in your closet that you haven't worn for a year, give it to somebody who needs it. You know, well, I mean, I'm going to go clean my closet. I started yeah, yesterday, but it's a good one. I'm going to keep going. You know, it's a simple, it's a simple thing that can be done. But I think if you, if you mm-hmm. offer yourself anybody in whatever way is appropriate to you, to, to the idea of service, you can, you'll be met, you'll get, you'll get your assignment. You know, I, and I think it works. I think somebody said to me way back when I was, you know, struggling. It might have been Harriet as well. She's getting she's getting her little stage today. But I heard <laughs> with like a therapist. Do, she's getting do, her stage with another with therapist. therapist. That's right. She said, "Do something good to good. Do something for do something good for somebody else every day, and don't tell anybody about it." She used to say. And that works too. Mm-hmm. It's simple, but it works. It builds it your relationship, really shifts your shifts your consciousness. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. That I think people oh. think it needs to be like it could be a hello, it could be a smile, it could be. It's a place to start. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you feel like are the biggest takeaways from this first book? I'm excited to. I hope you'll come back and talk about the next two as well because sure. I'm really excited to see where this this heads. You know, I don't remember because I'm I'm so in the book since. Um, I think what I find really challenging and really interesting about what they're teaching in this book, and I think this is the whole, because it's the Manifestation Trilogy, and I think people think that that means about, oh, good, I'm going to get some more stuff. Uh, that I did not feel like that was... That's not what they're talking about no, at all. At all. But they're Mm-mm. talking about something different in terms of manifestation, that everything we see, we are in alignment to. Everything that we experience, we're in co-resonance with because we're experiencing it, high, low, and in between. So people think, I'm going to manifest the couch. Well, you can go get a couch if you want to, but everything in your life right now that you see in your personal world or in the collective world, you are party to because your consciousness is in alignment to it. And you shift your consciousness to the higher and you claim what you experience in the higher way and what you see changes. The world changes as a result of that. So So would that be sort of like this quantum notion of creating your reality? I mean, is that well, I'm, I, I, I haven't read the quantum stuff at all, and I should, and I would like to, but I don't read anything because I don't want it informing the guide's teachings. If it's in my vocabulary, it's fair game for them, and maybe one day I'll read it and they'll use, use it in a high way. I don't know. They say that everything you see, you are in vibrational accord to. You shift your vibration and what you're in alignment to is changed, is altered. You are claiming a new world into being. Now, we're, we're, we want what we want, and people tend to think that this is selfish, and it's not the way they're teaching it. Mm. You know, there's the idea of the individual creator, but I, the guides I work with, which I think probably is different from what other people may be teaching, but they say there's also the collective field that we're with. So, for example, you're born into a world where many thousands of years of choices born in separation and fear are already expressed institutionally, how we treat another, tribalism, all of that stuff. So we show up in this field where fear is already prevalent and it's all we've known. So it's all we do to sort of work around that or with that as best we can. And we end up replicating what we don't want 
through this un unintentionally or intentionally. So you go to the higher level where those things don't express. And then because you're not operating in fear, you can actually lift the field, the common field and work with the common field, which is they say, how a world is made new. So the other thing that they teach, which I think is a takeaway, is this idea that you go to this level of the upper room and you're not desperately trying to get your needs met. You're because you're trusting source. Right. That's, and one. that's the different level of consciousness that, that you're at the, in that upper level is yeah, this exactly. trust that you will be divinely guided to what is yeah. next and what you need. By your own innate knowing, which they say is the God within, because that mm -hmm. aspect of you expresses in the upper room. Because that aspect of you is, you know, the true self. Every time you've really known anything, if you just go back, like I knew I was in love, I knew I was getting fired, or whatever it was, in that moment of knowing, there's never fear. Fear and knowing don't coexist. Mm -hmm. Knowing God say is the true self. The fear comes with you go, oh my God, am I going to get another job? Or, oh my God, am I going to get another relationship? What's going to happen to me? Oh me, oh my. That's well, that's stuff. when like the ego kicks in. Exactly right. So the true self knows, the small self thinks. There's nothing wrong with thinking, but it's not knowing. Well, on that note, Paul, thank you. This was so enlightening for me. And I think, you know, having just read it, I'm still, I still have a little bit to go, but I felt like I got yeah. <laughs> enough of it. Um, it just, it makes sense in a different way. So I would really yeah. encourage people, make sure you, if you haven't read the work, read the work, listen to this, go back, listen again, because I think it will just enlighten how one thinks about this book. So Resurrection, book one of the Manifestation Trilogy. It is out tomorrow. Congratulations to the thank guides you. and you for helping them. And thank you, Paul, again, for being here and for helping enlighten and raise the consciousness of this planet because it is needed right now. Thank you for having me. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.